0: All right, I trust that you found it, Ezekiel chapter 20. The title of my message this morning is The Rise of the Church. And I kind of want to focus on the word the, uh, oddly enough, um, the church, okay? Not the rise of Crossway Fellowship Church or Westside Church or uh, First General Baptist Church, All a lot of great churches in this town and in the world all over. I'm talking about the church, amen, those who are born again, those who have been bought and paid for and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the church, amen. And I want to talk a little bit about the church's path over the past 2,000 years, and uh, I'm not, it won't take me 2,000 years, I don't think, to get that across, I hope, but um, back, if you're back here in Ezekiel, we're going to talk, first of all, kind of about, when you look through the Old Testament, and you read a lot about the nation of Israel, okay, now I'm going to try to be, I want to be somewhat basic today, I know some of you have been in Sunday school and you know this, I don't want to take for granted that everybody in here knows what, what I'm about to say, so I'm kind of, I'm really going to break it down, okay, So bear with me. When you read through the Old Testament, we read about the nation of Israel, okay? And of all the nations that were on the face of the planet, God chose Israel to do his work in the world, okay? It wasn't because God liked or loved Israel better than everybody else, for God so loved the world. world. So God's love was for the entirety of the world, but he had to have a people that he could do his work through in the earth, specifically God knew that that mankind was broken. Our sins had separated us all from God and God was gonna bring a redeemer into the world to fix that, okay? And so he was making a path so that Jesus could come and be born in human form, die on the cross of Calvary for us. That was really the main purpose in God choosing the Israelites to be his people. Through the Israelites, Jesus was born. Everybody with me so far? So what we find is way, way back when, when God looks at Abraham and said, okay, you and your seed, which became the nation of Israel, you're my chosen people from now on, okay? There was quite a ride those people took, okay? God, They would rise and they would fall, and they would rise and they would fall. But ultimately, God was faithful to them throughout the whole process, okay? They became rebellious, they ignored God's command, so on and so forth, but God never stopped loving Israel, okay? That's important because you have to understand, and I'm not going to go into details here, but in the Old Testament, we're talking about the law. The, the, the world existed by the law. God gave his law, God's law, which we know is the Ten Commandments, but it was much bigger than that, the law. and Basically, what the law said was this. If you sin, you die, okay? If you sin, you pay for it now. If you steal something from somebody, they chop your hand off right now, okay? Law requires judgment now. That's all through the Old Testament. We'll talk about that. But when we get into the New Testament, we're in a period that's called grace. Everybody go, ah, oh, thank God for grace. You know what grace means? It means that though we fail God and though we sin against God, he doesn't bring judgment on us right now. He gives, we have space for repentance. The, 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 the blood of Jesus, when he hung on the cross, hung on the cross, he took our judgment. Okay? So throughout the Old Testament, the rise and fall of Israel, but God never turned away from them, okay? So before I start reading in Exodus chapter, no, not Exodus, Ezekiel, I didn't tell you the right point. Before we start reading in Ezekiel chapter 20, let me say this, that the Apostle Paul, when he, in his letter to the Corinthian church, he used the, the Israelites as an example, okay, and he was talking about how they had got rebellious against God and how God had made the earth open up and swallow them. And he, he, he gives, uses this as an example, but this is what he says. He said, all of these things happened to them, the Israelites, for an example to us, upon whom the ends of the world have come. Meaning, when we read through the Old Testament and we see the path that Israel took and how God interacted in their life and in their nation, it's an example for us over here living in grace. Okay, so in Ezekiel chapter 20, if you've turned there, I want to read through this. I may even read the whole chapter. I'm not, I'm not going to comment on every verse, uh, so don't freak out too much on that. But bear with me. I want you to see at this point in time, Israel is in a bad. They're in a boo-boo state. Okay, they're not in a hey, we're doing good now and God is giving us favor and we're obeying God. That's not. They're in a okay, we've really messed up and we've ignored God. That's where the nation of Israel is at. And so God is is compelling them to try to turn them back to him. And so this is what happens in uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Let's look here. In the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me, sat before the prophet Ezekiel. Okay, The elders of the leaders of Israel said, you know, we really need to find out what God... Is saying to us, we want to get a word from God, which we find later their motives weren't probably exactly right. It was kind of one of those things where it's like if you woke up in the morning and you say, okay, I want to live life exactly the way I want to live it. I want to do whatever I want, but I also want, you know, God in my hip pocket. And that's kind of the way these elders came to Ezekiel. And that didn't work for them, and it doesn't work for us either, by the way. Uh, The word of the Lord came to me, verse 2. Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Ezekiel, this is what I want you to speak thus says the lord god is it to inquire of me that you have come as i live declares the lord god i will not be inquired of by you again because i know you're not here to find out really what i want you to do you're wanting my blessing with your sin we know how many of you know that god never places his blessing on our sin his goal is to deliver us from our sin amen verse four will you judge them son of man will you judge them let them know the abominations of their fathers and say to them thus says the lord god On the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt, I swore to them saying, I am the Lord your God. So he goes back to the moment where God made a covenant and said, this will be my people, okay? Verse six, on that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. So here's God's purpose for his people. And by the way, whether it's the nation of Israel, and what I want you to get, by the way, let me just kind of let you in on the the, the gist of all of this. What I want us to get this morning is I want us to see the connection between God's people Israel and God's people the church, okay? God's people Israel in the Old Testament, God's church in the New Testament. And so uh, the the Israelites had been slaves in, in Egypt and God comes and he delivers them in a mighty way, sets them free from the Egyptians, and God said, I have set aside a little bit of land for you on the planet. It's all yours, and it's literally the best land on the entire earth. He said, it's, it's called Canaan's land. They call it the promised land, the land that flows with milk and honey. Do you know what that means? It doesn't mean they had a lot of cows there, okay? Doesn't mean there was a bunch of beehives and cows, and so there was a lot of milk and honey. That's not what that meant. It's a land that flows with milk. It's a land that flows with milk and honey, meaning, man, you plant something, it's going to grow like crazy. Okay? It's just a land of plenty. And I am taking you there. Do you know why nations of the world still to this day are fighting over that little patch of ground? It's just got the blessings of God on it. It's the land that flows with milk and honey, and it's also a land that flows with oil. Seriously. I mean, this is. Look at you. Look at your news. I mean, that's not some weird coincidence. God made this land great because He was taking His people there. God's plan for His people was blessing, goodness, protection, that not an enemy anywhere on the planet could ever conquer them. That was God's plan. But they never could. The Israelites could never just grab a hold of that and just serve God. They were always trying to bring other gods in. They were always pursuing their own pleasures and their lusts. And we're going to see that here in verse 7. I said to them, cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on, every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes focused on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. If there's one thing that Satan's always gonna make sure and try to do in the lives of God's people is make sure that there are detestable things before our eyes. What's the detestable things he's talking about? Anything that God says don't do. I mean, for them, it was idols. They'd spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt and all of those Egypt gods had just kind of rubbed off on them. Okay? Here I mean imagine, look, I mean put yourself in their shoes. They're they're getting beaten by they're getting beaten but you watch me. Jeff's Jeff's my uh, edge monitor. You guys know me, I'm not exactly full of grace. So when I get close to the edge, I need like a I need like a beep. Beep beep when I get closer to the edge. Uh okay, what was I saying? Anybody know? Detestable things, thank you. In the land of Egypt, the detestable things for them was the gods of Egypt. And and they're they're, uh, they're slaves in Egypt and they're getting beaten every day by the Egyptians, and they've come to the conclusion that God has bailed on them, our God must not really be there for us, and these Egyptians are prospering, they're rich, they're wealthy, and the Egyptians have all kinds of gods, so they just, it started to rub off on them a little bit. Maybe we got the wrong God, maybe we just, and then God comes in in a mighty way, crushes the gods of the Egyptians, and shows himself to be the one true and mighty God. Okay but the the Israelites just never could quite take the idols out of their hip pocket. There was always something detestable, something they weren't supposed to do or something they weren't supposed to have that was constantly beckoning for them. And folks, that is not any different than it is for me and for you. there are you, you name it, everybody's got your idols that Satan's trying to keep in you that something that God says, "Don't do this or do this," and that we're drawn to where it's our sin nature and it's ugly. But God said, look, what I'm I'm trying to get you to understand is that if if you don't give in to the detestable things that are pulling you, and if you'll fully and completely just serve me, I will show you blessing like you've never seen before. That was God's plan. But he never could completely do with the nation of Israel what he really wanted to do because they could never completely turn their attention completely to him. Is it like that? In the church, I think in many ways it very well can be. See, God's doing the same thing in the church of Jesus Christ. We are, we are Jews, according to what uh, Paul said, basically. Spiritual Jews in the sense that we are God's people now. All of God's blessings to the world does not flow through the nation of Israel anymore. It flows through his church. Let me say that again. All of God's blessings to the world today Flow through his church. That's his plan. And God said, I want my people, I want my church to know my blessing, to know what I can do for them and what I can do through them. But many times, the detestable things, and it doesn't, that detestable thing doesn't always have to be a sinful thing, by the way. Many times it is. Anything that you and I treasure more than we treasure God becomes detestable. Your job can become detestable to God because it means more to you, your family. Can become detestable, that detestable thing, because it means more to you than God. So, God trying to do in His people today, the church, and He never was able fully to get the Israelites to see it. I, I, I just pray and hope that, it, that we as the church of Jesus Christ and the church of Crossway Fellowship Church don't have to wait till Jesus comes to figure out how great and mighty God is and to figure out exactly what it is He's wanting to do in the earth. Amen? It goes on in verse number uh, seven or number uh, eight last part of number eight then i said i would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of egypt remember we're back this is back in the day of judgment but i acted for their this is important i acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the, among the nations whom they lived god said when i dropped the hammer on them I, I, I had to take the rug out from underneath them i brought judgment on them not because i hated them Not because I was lashing out at them, but I had to preserve my name in the earth. You understand that the most important thing in the entirety of the earth is that God's name be preserved. Why is that? Oh, I don't know, because he made it? Shouldn't God be honored and glorified in the world that he created? Of course he should. And he chooses to do that through his people, but the Israelites were no longer being a true representation of God, and he had to just take the wind out of their sail in order to keep from the rest of the world having a misunderstanding about who God really was. He goes on to say, verse 10, so I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. God's saying, I didn't come up with any weird rules that were hard, just if they obeyed my commandments, they would live. What does that mean? If we do, okay, here's, here I'm gonna break it down very simple. If we do what God says to do, it's a good thing, <laughs> all right? If we don't do what God says to do, it's a bad thing, okay? You say, well, that's simple, that's easy. Why would you even say that? How many of you find it hard to do the good thing? I do, you do, Paul did. We find, even though we're God's people, even as the church, we've got God's spirit within us, and at times, we just find it hard to do the right thing. I don't know why that is. Paul couldn't figure out why that is. He said, I go, I want to do the right thing, but I find myself doing the wrong thing. You, let me just use this as an example. Do you know why I look like a raccoon this morning? Because hey, hey, hey. <laughs> you did the wrong thing. Because I did the wrong thing. Well, or I, I let me put it this way, I didn't do the wrong thing. I uh, neglected to do the right thing. But here's, here's my point. My point is we got over to, to Norwood yesterday to watch the Brady play baseball. And we're sitting there in the blazing hot sun. And my wife says to me, would you like some sunscreen? Now, I'm not making this up. This is coming. I I mean, literally, in my mind, I'm thinking that would be the right thing to do. I'm fair complected. I know I'm going to get sunburned. That would be smart. And so in my mind, I'm literally thinking, yes, I need need to put on some of that sunscreen. But what came out of my mouth was, no, I'm good. I don't know why. I literally don't know why. I was getting dressed this morning. I'm combing my hair and as the comb rakes my sunburn and I'm in excruciating pain, I'm thinking to myself, why didn't I just put on some sunscreen? It makes no sense. Literally, right now, I'm bum-fuzzled. I am I'm bumfuzzled. i do not know why I didn't do it. I meant to. I needed to. I knew I needed to, but I didn't do it. But how many times in our, own, in our walk with God that we're faced with something that we know is a sin, we know it's not right, and inside, God's Spirit is saying, no, don't do that. Or he's saying, do that. I mean, he's giving us direction, and we know that we need to. We're saying to ourselves that we need to, and then we just don't. It's a mystery, isn't it? And these are the moments that you are so thankful for this grace period that we're in. That's ultimately, what, that's ultimately the conclusion Paul came to, by the way. He said, I don't know why I do the things I do. I want to do, I don't, I don't. I find myself not putting on sunscreen when I should, so on and so forth. But he goes on to say, but thank God for Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank God for Jesus who covers us in those moments of time. The rules he gives us, the commandments are for our benefit. They're they're so that we can live. Amen? You've heard me say this a thousand times. What if the whole world just lived by the Ten Commandments? The whole world just took the Ten Commandments and lived by them. Do you know what would happen? Well, first of all, if if the whole world would have done that since Adam and Eve, nobody would ever die. What is it that brings death on the world? Sin that is in the human race, right? But, but even, even so, take death out of the equation. If the whole world just lived by the commandments of God, this place would be a great place to live. Prisons would shut down. Jails and shut down courthouses. There'd be no need. People would love one another. and People would be loving God. God said, I gave you my commandments, my rules, so that you might live. But they ultimately... When you don't choose life, what are you choosing? Death. They literally chose death over life. Why would anybody do that? I don't know. Why do we? Verse 12, moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statues but rede- rejected my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. He says it again and he'll say it again. A couple different times God says, by the way, those who keep my rules shall live, okay? And, and, we, and I get it. Listen, we understand being a Christian is not all about rule keeping, is it? But how many know the rules? It's not, a, it's not about do's and don'ts. I get it. As a, as a church over 2,000 years, we've, we've compiled our list of do's and don'ts. Christians don't do this, and they don't do that. And, and in many cases, we've, we've, just, we, we've just put handcuffs on people. We've made it all about rules. And it's not all about rules at all. It's about the Spirit of God leading us every single day of our life. Amen? But that being said, there are do's and there are don'ts. There are things that God wants us to do as Christians, and there's things he don't want us to do as Christians. And I could stand up here for the next hour and a half, two hours, probably take me the rest of the day, and I could give you a whole list of what those things are. What the Scripture talks about you should do and you shouldn't do. And you know what? We, would everyone find ourselves in the don't do column. We'd find ourselves in the do column. If, if I were to do that, you'd say, "Oh, well, I do this. Oh, I do that. Yeah, I do. That. I'm good. I do that. I do that." Well, they don't do that, but I, I don't. You know, I mean, we'd find ourselves measuring up in the bottom. The bottom line is, there are do's and there are don'ts, but it's not. We don't have to agonize over those things. You know why? Because the Spirit of God lives within us. If we are seeking God and we're open to God, and our desire is to fulfill God's calling in our life then we're open to him and he's able to show us every day those things, do's and don'ts and the rules that give us life, amen? I don't know about you. Every single time I have ever went off road and did my own thing, God is saying to me in my spirit, put on sunscreen, right? I mean, he's saying to me, don't do that. Don't say that every time I've gone off script and did my own thing, it didn't bring life. It didn't. It didn't bring good things. It brought negative things in my life and for people around me that I that I care for. But for those times that I, I listened, as the, the Holy Spirit quickens me to do this, don't do that, the times that I've yielded and been obedient, nothing but blessing has ever come out of that. I, I, what I'm saying is, Literally, in my own little puny, simple life, I have proven this to be true. Or let me put it this way God has proven this to be true in my life. Amen? Then he goes on to say, verse uh, 14. But I acted, here we go again. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land that I had given them the land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. Okay, so again, we're talking about the rise and the fall of the nation of Israel and then the rise again, right, and the fall and the rebirth. But in this moment, God had had promised them, God had put all his promises on the table. I'm, I'm taking you out of slavery. Who in their right mind wouldn't want that? I'm taking you to a land that's just awesome, best best patch of ground on the entire earth. I think it's the little seven acres out 76 highway, but according to God, it's Israel, right? I'm taking you to the best little patch of ground on the earth, and it's all yours. The promise is on the table. And through their own rebellion, literally now they come to the point where God says, now I'm not going to bring you into that land. These people literally left the promises of God on the table the, the, the ministry of God the thing that God wanted to do in them was unfulfilled just because of their own stubbornness and rebellion and doubt and so on and so forth now God raises up another generation but in this moment think about this the very people they still have scars on their back from the Egyptian soldiers they have they went through all the plagues. They walked through the Red Sea as God parted. They literally, with their own peepers, witnessed the majesty and the miracles and the power of Almighty God, yet they continued to doubt. And so when they get to the promised land and they said, nope, God just can't do this one. God just can't. Those people in that land, because see, the land wasn't vacant that God was taking them to, by the way. It wasn't just vacant land, you know, with a you know, United Country Realty sign out front that said, for sale, no, it was occupied by other nations who had armies and big, strong men. And so God said, I'm taking you to this land, it's your land, and you're going to fight for it. I'm going to give it to you. And that's when they said, No, we, no, we can't. God, God's not able to do this for us. And God said, finally, after compelling with them and compelling with them, God says, Okay, this group right here, this generation of Israelites, will never enter in to the promised land. Okay, keep in mind, I need a a barrier. Here's this, here is is the Jordan River. Here is desert, Egypt, the past, slavery, everything bad. Jordan River, promised land. This is how close they got. They're here, okay? God brings them here and says, I want you to have that and they send some spies over there and the spies come back and they're like they're having it takes two men to carry a cluster of grapes back to Israel they're here and God says that's all yours and they said we we can't we will not do it right there on the edge and they left all of God's promises on the table i wonder as the church of Jesus Christ God's people that represent him to the earth today i wonder with all that God wants to do in us and what all God wants to do through us, I believe us to be standing here. I really do. Especially, let's look at break it down just to this church. God's done a great thing here. We can either move forward into God's blessing and know, and I'm not talking prosperity where we're all gonna be rich, okay? If you all get rich, it's not because I preach the prosperity message to you. But if you do, remember to tithe. We gotta pay this building off, Okay. (laughs) I'm talking, about spiritual, I'm talking about spiritual blessing in which we move into a place where, okay, read through the book of Acts. That was the church that Jesus had in mind, okay? When Jesus went, he died, he rose again, he went back to heaven, and he, he gave the disciples the great, we call it the great commission. Go out into all the world, big build, build big churches, come up with programs, build denominations. No, that's not what he said. Go out into all the world and preach the gospel. And here's what's going to happen when you trust God and you get over here in the promise and you start preaching the gospel. People will be saved. You'll make disciples. You'll baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. We're going to baptize some people tonight. By the way, you like our baptism tank? Isn't this awesome? I know it's not a creek, but I think it's pretty cool. It's cool. Anyway, that's beside the point. Squirrel. Squirrel. Um, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He said, once you get over here, there'll be, man, there's healings available, demons cast out, miracles, all these types of things. God said, I want to do in and through my church, but you have to be dwelling in the promise. And so I wonder, if we're here, how many of God's promises are we leaving on the table? Did you ever wonder that? Paul, Paul, in his letter to, to Timothy, the second Timothy, he says to, to Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Don't leave anything on the table. When your life is over, which by the way, Paul, when he wrote second Timothy, his life was over. I mean, he was old man. He was at the end. He was actually in prison on death row. He was about to be executed because he had been preaching the gospel. So he's writing this letter to Timothy to give him some kind of last minute instructions and, and, and Paul says, look, I finished my course. I've run my race. I have kept the faith. In other words, Paul says, look, I can, I can go over to that chopping block and have them chop my head off, and I can honestly say I left nothing on the table. I fulfilled my ministry. What, what's your, what is our ministry as a church? What's my ministry as a pastor? What's your ministry as an individual? What God, what's God, how's God yanking your chain? Do you want to fulfill that ministry, or do you want to leave the blessings of God on the table? I want to fulfill it. I just, I want to see what happens if I give God everything. And I'm not claiming that I've already given God everything. Many of the things I, I'll pull from the book of, of uh, Bob Minicky. Bob Minicky was brilliant when it comes to word pictures. Um, I'll pull from the book of Bob. Uh, most of the things that God took away from me have claw marks all over them, right? Meaning that I just found it hard to let go. And I know that there's a lot of things, things I don't know of probably, the things that God wants to do in me, and if he was to tell me right now, here's what I want to do in you, it'd probably scare me to death. But just one day at a time, I just, there's there's something in the back of my mind, I think, okay, I don't know how long I'm going to live, but whenever I come to the end of my life, I just want to know that I did what God called me to do, that I was his church, not that I went to church, not that I pastored a church, not that I preached at church, but that I was his church. God, I was born, God saved me, God called me, and in God's mind's eye, when he looked at me, he said, this is what I want you to fulfill in your life. I just want to do that. However little or big or small it may be, I don't want to leave anything on the table. I see what happened with the nation of Israel. What a shame. These people, they get here, Jordan River, and they say, we can't do it. God's just not big enough I guess to, to do this so God said okay fine and he so he leaves them over here on this side and they literally just roam around in a pointless pointless circle of life they just existed for 40 years God said look I got way more patience than you got and he does by the way God can outlast last us any day of the week God said okay fine you don't want my promise you, you don't want my calling? You don't want me to take you where I'm wanting to take you? You're content to live over here on this side of Jordan and wander around in a meaningless form of life? Hey, who am I to stop you? So he just let them go. For 40 years, they wandered around in the wilderness. No reason for life whatsoever. And I would venture to say that when we leave God, his purpose, his calling in our life out, That's all our life becomes, just meaningless, just a meaningless circle. Christ is the one who, in him we live and move and have our being. Everything is about Christ. So the only way for our life to really fully be fulfilled is when Christ is at the center and we are pursuing whatever it is he's calling us to do. Amen? 40 years, they wander around, and so Jesus, God basically said, he's waiting for them, waiting them out. This one drops dead, that one drops dead, four or five drop dead, and just as the years go by and all these people die, guess what's happening? They're, what are their kids doing? What are your kids doing as we speak, almost before your very eyes? Growing like weeds, right? So God's basically, okay, I can't do anything with these people. They just could not get it in their head how big God is, so I'm going to let them wander around in life aimlessly, and I'm going to raise up their children. I'm gonna, one way or the other, God is going to have a people, okay? Does everybody understand that? God is gonna have a people. And if we don't wanna be the people, that's fine with God. He'll find somebody who wants to be his people. He just, okay, fine, he raises up another. And when, that, when the last person of this group finally killed over, God says, all right, guys, a new generation, he's been doing something to them. This generation, I can take over into the promised land. Don't you know, these, the young people are probably thinking, when is this guy going to pass away so we can move forward, right? <laughs> God waited until the last one died. But here's, here's the great thing. Here's, the thing. Here's, where, here's where the grace of God comes in, even in the midst of law, even in the midst of judgment. These people out here that just couldn't get it, God was frustrated with them, he was aggravated for them, and he, he pulled the promises off the table and said, okay, you, they're not for you to have now. But you know what he did? In that 40 years they were wandering around aimlessly in the desert, he took care of them. (laughs) He provided for them. Every day there would be food on the ground when they woke up. He called it manna. Literally, bread from heaven every day, miraculously. They run out of water, he'd just make it come out of a mountain. 40 years, not one of them ever had to run over to Hibbetts and buy a new pair of shoes. Literally, he preserved their shoes even. For 40 years of wandering in the desert, God took good care of them. Why do you suppose that is? I mean, they were rebellious for crying out loud. Because he never stopped loving them. So the thing is, I'm not trying to present to you this morning, we as the church of Jesus Christ, that great and mighty things that God wants to do in us and through us, that if we're not there yet, that God is gonna, or even maybe we never do, I'm sure there's a lot of people in the church of Jesus Christ that never fulfill their ministry. Never, for whatever reason, get to that point. But isn't it good to know at least that God doesn't reject us? Does he, does, he doesn't cast us out. So I'm not up here today to say to you, you need to do what God wants you to do or God's going to get you. That wouldn't be a very good motive. I'm just trying to inspire you to realize, hey, there's something more exciting, I think, about life. If if, if life and church, you know, you know Church can get boring, really can. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm bored right now. I'm just talking about the monotony of going to church. You go to church, you go home, you go to church on the weekend, you go to work, you go to church. And even just going to church can become so drab and dreary and, and boring. And when that happens, understand first and foremost, that's not God's intention. Church on Sunday morning should be the most exciting thing we do all week long. Amen. Many times, whenever we get bored in church, you can look around and say, Man, all these people are just, it seems like they're really getting into it. I'm not many times, many times, it's just because we've we've left something on the table. God is trying to beckon us across the river. Right? He's just saying, trust me just for one more step. Trust me just for one more step. Go ahead and cross the river. You don't have all the answers yet. Just cross the river and just let me do. You wouldn't believe what kind of spark ignites within you. Amen? When you're starting to flow in the actual promises of God. I don't think that the church of Jesus Christ, the whole church, I don't know that, at least in our generation, have ever fully experienced what God really wants to do in the world through us. I really don't think we have. I mean, I know there's been times, you go over the past 2,000 years. Okay, remember now, the book of Acts is the blueprint. Jesus basically said, here's how you do it. This is, this is what I want my church to look like. And that church rose. And that church 2,000 years ago that Jesus left was mighty. And it was powerful. It was effective. And it grew and it rose. But there come a time where people got bored in it. People got greedy in it. People got wise in their own tactics, and just the, the church has taken many rises and falls over the past two thousand years. I can't speak to every generation. I think that I think that we got a good thing going right here at Crossway Fellowship Church. I really do. The church isn't what it needs needs to be. I wouldn't say that we know that the church is broken. I, again, the church, the whole church of Jesus Christ, not everything is right here at Crossway. I'm, I'm sure there's there's things that God shows us along the way. Well, here's you, this is right, right, this is wrong. You need to do. Something. I mean, it's we're never going to get this completely right because we're broken. As long as the church is led by people, people's not uh, the church ain't going to be perfect. We understand that. But that's not what I'm talking about. I, I think that that we've not touched, we've not scratched the surface of what God really wants to do in the whole church of Jesus Christ, but even what he wants to do right here in this church. Amen? You know, I cast a vision to you guys two years ago. I don't know if you remember this or not, but I said it like this. My prayer is that, okay, when, when God closes his eyes and he pictures the perfect church, Kind of, like you, kind of like you young guys do, you know, when you're picturing the perfect woman. Think. You, cl- you close your eyes and you picture, what would I want the perfect woman for me to marry? And you, you, know, you picture her, what she looks like, what she, what she does for you, and all of this. You just you picture in your mind. And I think, God, when you close your eyes and in your mind's eye, you think, this is what I want my church to look like. What is that? What is, what is that picture? And we see that through the book of Acts ultimately. A, a people that are dedicated and devoted to Jesus, to, to proclaim him no matter what, to give of themselves and to testify of his goodness, to worship him in spirit and in truth. So, God, when when you I mean, like if this young guy is pictured, oh, okay, this is what I picture, and he opens his eyes and he sees a girl that's nothing like that, he's like, oh no, that's not it this is it so I don't want Jesus to, to close his eyes and say this is what I want my church to look like and then open his eyes and look at like, oh no that's not what I had in mind at all I, wanted to, I want to be that church amen? amen to rise as an army to know that we're a part of something that's far bigger and greater than ourselves I, I didn't even get I didn't even get a fourth of the way through this um. <laughs> stay with me I, I, there's so much left I, if I try to stay with me this morning I may just carry this on next week I don't know don't let that keep you from coming <laughs> I have learned 12 years of ministry have taught me something that when you say I'm going to talk about this more next week people have it in their mind oh well I already heard that you haven't even heard half of it okay I think it's a good spot to leave it. That if you were to picture this morning, just visualize in your mind a table, big, long banquet table right up here. And you're starved of that. You're hungry. I mean, it's quarter after, I don't know about you. I always eat at 1130. My uh, My tummy starts rumbling. And you think, and you're hungry and you see all of this food. And you think, and you think, oh, I just, I can't wait. As soon as service is over, I'm going to go get me some of that food. And you're going to eat. And I say to you, eat until your heart is content. Whatever you do, do not go away hungry. Plenty of food. I mean, we've got fried chicken. We've got roast beef. We've got brown beans and ham and cornbread and, Cheesecake, and I see this lips are spacking. You'd come up, and I say, "Eat to your heart. There's plenty." You would get, you would come up here, and you would eat, you would enjoy it. And if you were to leave still hungry, whose fault would that be? Would it be mine. If you come and complain to me, I'm just not getting fed. I just didn't. I'm just. I'm gonna say, look, it was the the table was spread. If you go away hungry, it was. Because you left stuff on the table. Well, I want to encourage you to know this morning that that table is here. There is a table spread up here. But it's a table full of spiritual blessing. There's a whole bunch of peace up here on this table. Some of you desperately need some of that peace. You're just in in emotional turmoil. For whatever reason, maybe it's your fault, maybe it isn't. That's, That's irrelevant whose fault it is. But Jesus said, look, I've, I'm the prince of peace and I've got peace available. There's love on this table. There's contentment on this table. Trying so hard to get what the world has and God said, you know, I'll tell you what, the, most, the, the greatest blessing you can ever have, the, one of the greatest things you can feast on from the table of God is, the, is contentment. Being content with godliness, Amen.